Welcome to our Advent Renewal Series. Today, we will be reading the chapter entitled, The Suffering Servant. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew 2, verse 23. The early Christians had a problem. They proclaimed Jesus as God's king. But what kind of a king comes from Nazareth? What kind of a king not only has no palace, but nowhere at all to lay his head? What kind of king not only has no army, but has instead a motley assortment of unsavory characters? Jesus just didn't fit the bill. But that wasn't the half of it. The real problem was this. What kind of king is crucified? In Roman society, it was impolite even to talk about crucifixion. A Roman citizen couldn't be crucified. It was the ultimate expression of shame. For the Jews, anyone hung on a tree was considered cursed by God, and clearly God's king couldn't be under God's curse. A suffering king didn't fit the bill. So, how did the first Christians overcome these reservations about Jesus? One solution was to point to the life of David. The early church often quoted from the Psalms of David, often Psalms from his early life. It suggests that they saw the early life of David as a model for Jesus. That's because David didn't actually become king when he was anointed by Samuel. After bursting into the public arena with his defeat of Goliath, David very quickly found himself on the wrong side of Saul. As a result, he entered his wilderness years, literally. He spent years in the wilderness on the run from Saul, surrounded by a motley assortment of unsavory characters. You can imagine the first Christians saying to their Jewish friends, you say Jesus can't be the promised new David because of his humble life and his early death? But don't you remember the story of David? Don't you remember the sufferings David had to endure? Haven't you sung David's psalms of lament? If Israel's greatest king had to suffer before he came to the throne, then why not Israel's ultimate king? This appears to be Matthew's point in the odd little episode with which he closed his nativity story. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew 2, verses 22 to 23. Here's the problem. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. Maybe Matthew has in mind Samson, who was a kind of Nazarite, but Jesus doesn't fit the requirements of a Nazarite. He doesn't abstain from wine, for example. More likely, when Matthew uses Nazarene, he's using a well-known derogatory slang term for someone coming from an insignificant place like Nazareth in Galilee. That's how Nathaniel uses the term when he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? John 1, verse 46. Can God's king be a country bumpkin from Hicksville, we might say today? So Matthew doesn't have a specific verse in mind. That's why he talks about the prophets, plural, rather than a specific named prophet. He's alluding to the theme in the story of Israel, especially in the story of David, that God's king will come from nowhere town. Instead of undermining his claims, the humble origins of Jesus actually reinforce his claims to be God's anointed king. 
another solution to the problem of a suffering king was to point to the prophet Isaiah, who speaks of a suffering servant of the Lord. Isaiah records four songs which are sung about a servant or by a servant. Sometimes the servant appears to be Israel, called by God to be a light to the nations. Sometimes the servant appears to be an individual who restores Israel. What the early church realized is that Jesus is that servant. Jesus is Israel as Israel was meant to be. He is the true people of God. He is the one who lives in perfect obedience to God so that he's the light of the world. But Jesus is also the one who rescues God's people as they are mired in sin and facing God's judgment. He restores God's people and sets us back on track. Matthew quotes the first servant song in its entirety in Matthew 12, verses 18 through 21. The evidence of Jesus' miracles clearly points to him being the servant of the Lord. The key thing is that the servant is a suffering servant. This is made explicit in the final and most famous song. He was despised and rejected by mankind, says Isaiah 53, verse 3. The rejection of Jesus actually confirms his identity as God's servant. But the point is not just that the servant suffers. The point is that the servant rescues God's people by suffering in their place. His sufferings are not accidental or incidental. They're central to his mission. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. The crucifixion was not a sad anticlimax to a promising start. It was the crowning glory of the king's mission. Christmas in our culture is about presents and parties, family and food. In the process, Jesus is often pushed to the margins at his own birthday celebrations. There's nothing new in this. Jesus has always been marginalized by our world. But it doesn't mean he's not real, and it doesn't mean he's not returning as the king of the world. Our prayer for today is by Thomas Beacon. The gift of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who thou gavest unto us to be our Savior, our Redeemer, our Peacemaker, our Wisdom, our Sanctification, and our Righteousness, is the most excellent gift and most precious treasure. Wonderfully, O most loving Father, doth this thing set forth thy hearty love toward us, that when we were yet ungodly and wicked sinners, thou gavest thy Son to die for our sins. Amen.